what we've got here is failure to communicate. Nine times. Mr. Brown. Mr. White. You know, for kids. Mr. Blonde. Mr. Blue. Mr. Orange. Mr. Pink. Why am I Mr. Pink? I see dead people. 1.21. Their obsession. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. No, I'm just getting warmed up. Their words. I'll ask you again. Did I urinate on your rug? I drink your milkshake. Someone else's movie. I'm a god. You're a god. I'm a god, not the god. Directors, screenwriters, actors, and film fanatics record feature-length audio commentaries for the films that changed their life. I want you to get up now. How come Andrew gets to get up? That's right. If he gets up, we'll all get up. It'll be anarchy. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not gonna take this anymore! That's the sidetrack. Do you think you're out of tune? Consequence Podcast Network. My friendship to all of you precludes my involvement with any one of you. But if you want to make love, then I do too. And I'll be right there behind you. All in the name of oh. All in the name of oh. All in the name of oh. Greetings, constant listeners, and welcome to yet another episode of The Losers Club, the Stephen King podcast. I am your host, Dan Delacroix Caffrey, uh, here with our second installment of The Green Mile. We plan to do it in one episode, but you know we give you the content you crave. We go long sometimes, and as a result, we have to break up our book episodes into two installments. So we are back for round two. If you missed the first episode, please do go back and listen to it, unless you just want to hear the funny stuff, because today we are... Um, more or less in our, our lighthearted categories, you know, something blue, something funny. Uh, we talked about characters and themes and all that good stuff in the previous one. Maybe listen to this one, then go back and listen to the first one. I, I don't care what order you do. Uh, just, just do it. That'd, you be know? A, that'd be a fun episode. That would be a fun way to do things. Uh, <laughs> I guess if you're uh, the character from Memento, that's how you would, uh, listen to the podcast. Wouldn't <laughs> I don't. I don't remember yeah, this, the movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can't remember if I liked it. Yeah, r- real quick, let's just go through and uh, yeah, just remind everyone who what what does our rogues gallery look like if we are in the Batman universe? Uh, who are? Uh, let's start with you, Guy Pierce, who just talked. Uh, oh yes, well this will be Michael. I'm gonna skip the gross nickname I had before and just go with Monroeville Mall. But Rockman. today's the episode where we get to talk about it. We didn't. We we said mud hole a lot last time, but we didn't really get into why we were saying it. And today we will. In just a bit. I know. And I'm going to reserve it for that because um, I was thinking about the nickname last time when we finished recording and I felt a little dirty. I felt like I needed to hop in the shower <laughs> yeah. and uh, clean off the mud. But, <laughs> oh, God. God. <laughs> <laughs> who, who, uh, who do we have in the, in the great state of Tennessee, not too far from where I am? This is Jen Jan Adams. And my nickname is just like ladylike and pleasant. So, yeah. Doing good up here, you know? <laughs> I always think of Jumanji star Bonnie Hunt. Uh, I love her. Me too. Yeah. Love her. Love her to death. Uh, does she still have a talk show? Or I thought she used to have a talk show uh, a long um, time ago. 
But no, yeah. I don't know. I do remember I feel, that though. I feel like she was on Grace Under Fire or something, but she wasn't. I don't know. She just seems like someone who would be no, on like no. a ninety six. Similar hairstyle. She's, I think. she's in Jerry Maguire though, right? Am I making that up? Am I remembering? She that? is. That's uh, yeah, might be her best role. Or, or no, oh, I don't know. Sister? Yeah, she's so good in that. She's and great. She's, she's good in everything. Yeah, she's good all though, the time. You know? Love her. Love her. Who uh, yeah. who else do we have in the Windy City in Chicago? Are you, are you Mike? Mike and the person I'm about to introduce. Are you in the same space right now? Or are you? Are no, you no, no, no. Same, same block, but uh, separate mics. Because this is Dan Dan Delacroix Caffrey Flieger. <laughs> um, <laughs> Real memento. I couldn't yeah, I couldn't think of one. Uh, it's, it's also inspired by Macaulay Culkin. Uh, the fans voted to make his middle name Macaulay Culkin, so now his name is Macaulay Macaulay Culkin. Culkin. Did, he, did he really do that? I remember reading about um, it. But I, wasn't I read sure in GQ that stuff. he hasn't officially changed it like with the government yet, but he goes by it. <laughs> Yeah, let's see if he really does it. You know, really goes through. Um, he seems legit funny. I, I like Macaulay Culkin. I, I like him a lot. Mm. Yeah, I think he's very funny. Well, um, I did hey, look it up, he... and it seems as if um, the Bonnie Hunt show <laughs> only went on from 2008 <laughs> to 2010. So uh, those two years, we were gifted. I mean, it's time for a reboot. I agree. Yeah. We I can agree. title it the Bonnie Hunt show. Yes, just do oh, it all. Like, yeah, right. Like um, a certain scream mm-hmm. or Halloween but or Rambo. Like they've been doing that. No, know what it was for a while. I feel like, and we'll we'll get to the book soon, folks. I promise. But <laughs> <laughs> what it was for a while was they weren't doing the outright identical title of the original but a, a riff on that so like we had rocky mm-hmm. balboa right and we had john mm-hmm. rambo yeah. i feel like we yeah. were doing even the fast and the furious series it was like what fast what was it fast they would five, play around it with it fast and yeah. Furious. Yeah. it was too fast and, and, too furious which is still a little dumb but man now we're really just uh, we're just using the exact same name just every every mm-hmm. horror movie especially it comes well, out but jen yeah. you tweeted something today that was i think it was from citizens that was just like what is Scream Two or what is Scream Six going to be called? Like Scream Two? I mean, exactly. It's, yeah, it's, it's so ridiculous. It's insanity. Well, also, like you've guaranteed that I'm never going to call your movie by its actual name. Oh yeah, because I have to differentiate it between like we, my yeah. one of my favorite movies. So. That's yeah, why we say Halloween. Be and, yeah. slightly contrarian. I actually read a good tweet on it though, where if Scream is in fact parodying the state of horror movies. It would sort of make sense for them to just call it Scream because that's what all the other Ooh. horror movies are doing. And I was like, okay, if, that's if not I a bad will thing. say. If they reference that in the movie, like if they actually make it a thing, then I could, I could, but I don't know. It also could just be a dumb marketing thing. Yeah, I, I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. Who but knows I, th- right? I think that's what it's kind of making fun of, though. But who yeah, knows? dumb marketing thing. I'm not, I'm not too passionate either direction. Yeah. Well, I mean, the good news shit, is that right? when they adapted the Green Mile in 1999, they stayed <laughs> to the title. What, what if about? They change it to like the Blue Mile or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just or like, three wait, kilometer. Right. If they adapt it again, it'll just be called the Mile. Like that would be that would be like yeah. a 2008 That's, move it's, to do. It's sexier, you know. Uh, yeah. Well, we are here to talk about the Green Mile. Obviously, that, that actually wasn't even too long of a tangent we went on. No, so. not too long. That <laughs> was a good one. It's just a nice, nice, nice icebreaker, easing back into it. Um, and like I said, we're picking up today with. Um, I don't want to call them the less important categories, but maybe the maybe the breezier, the less he- the less hefty categories. We talked mm-hmm. a lot last time about about race and the greater thematic implications of the book and the things King does really well, the things he struggled with. We're getting into some fun this time around. Not that there won't be a spot for <laughs> serious analysis, but we're it's it's going to be. If last time was the Hulk roller coaster, this is going to be um, <laughs> that Cat in the Hat ride at Universal. But Ooh, hey, I like the Cat in the Hat ride. I do too, actually. You shouldn't be going to Universal right now, though, because we're in a pandemic, even though I'm sure it's open. Um, okay, so the first category <laughs> we are going to do is a little something we like to call misery. She she died. She just slipped away. Slipped away? Slipped away? 
didn't just slip away! You did it! 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 You murdered my misery! Welcome to Misery, where we talk about maybe some things that didn't work so well for us in the book. And this can be specific passages or just something in general or characters. Now we talked a lot last time about how we love the prose in this book, even with all the problematic things in it. So I'm always interested to hear what people have to say. I have, I don't have like a specific passage because I I really do love the writing so much, but I have like a specific thing that happens, but I'll hold off. I don't know if someone else wants to go first, if they have something they want to read maybe. Uh, I mean, for me, a lot of it ties into just the, the, the easy descriptions that King tends to fall into. Um, and also, you know, descriptions that really make it hard to kind of pivot away from the case that like, you know, sensationalizing the capital, you know, like the magical Negro trope a little bit, you know, and he, he does it sometimes where some of his descriptions are a little too ostentatious and a little too over the top for me um like on, on you know on page like 277 in the pocket books edition he they, i mean king literally writes like the mask had peeled away from delacroix's face enough to reveal features that had gone blacker than john coffee's and it's just like mm-hmm. come on like, yeah it, it just seems so these like call outs that and he does it a bunch of times throughout the book yep and 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 it that's certainly something uh that is in the editorials that you are probably reading from the first episode uh, that we shared uh, with many writers that came out and talked about this, uh, this conundrum. And it just, when you read those segments, it does make you go, okay, I I can see where all the criticism. I think anytime you're using a a visual comparison when the root of that is in another race, it's, Oh, I I can't Mm -hmm. think of an instance Mm -hmm. where that works especially well. I, I think a lot back to in the stand where King constantly refers to Leo Rockway's Chinese eyes, which is so weird. Mm-hmm. And uh-huh. then in Night Shift and uh, the story, the short story Trucks, they, I think it's Trucks. It could be another one, but they talk about Negroid lips a lot. And it's, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just, I mean, and like I said, he's gotten better at that as he's gone on. But yeah, I can't really think of an instance where that's a good idea to use another race as, and, and in King's case, describing something grotesque, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, it's very rarely like, oh, it was as pretty as this. But, uh, but yeah. Uh, what, what, what else? What about you, Jen? Um, I had quite a bit in misery and they tended to fall into kind of two categories. One was what we were talking about just a minute ago. Um, and one of the ones that I pulled was when he's describing Beverly, um, Beverly Matuomi at the very beginning of the book, who was one of the, the only female prisoner on the mile. And this is like in the, just the cu- first couple of pages. So it introduces you to the way Paul sees the prisoners, which I think is significant. But he says mm-hmm. um, she was as black as the ace of spades and as beautiful as the sin you never had nerve enough to commit. And that's just such a like <laughs> kind of degrading way to describe her. Um, and and I talked a little bit about this last time, so I won't go too deep into it. But the other one, the other category that I found a lot in was the stuff that was too kind of that I didn't want to put in pound cake because it bugged me too much, you know? There's <laughs> Yeah, like, pound cake's so, kind of fun sometimes, you know? You, 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 it you is, but there was... Yuckiness yeah. sometimes, yeah. Exactly, yeah. There were some... It just went a little too far, and I think that's kind of overall what all of my misery was. Like, 
and I listened to this too. So I'm hearing Frank Muller talking about, um, <laughs> gosh, I don't even want to say some of it because it's so like, Jesus. It's, I haven't listened to an audiobook in such a long time. And I forget that. Oh my gosh. Some of the stuff has to sound yeah. so weird reading it out. Oh my gosh. All right, professor. Right. <laughs> really, well, this what, one. <laughs> what can I say? It's meant to be read. Yeah. So why watch TV when you could crack a book? <laughs> hey, I got to commute, so I'm going to be no, like, no, walking no. and listening. Yeah, but I know what you mean. Um, but yeah, there was one where where Melly was talking, and mm. she said, <laughs> "It's so <laughs> bad." I know, I, and and it just kind of crossed the line into like, "What are you doing?" You know, this people don't talk like this. But it says, "Whoever you are, just stay out. I'm not dressed. My tits are out. My bitch box is taking the breeze." Yep. And the way <laughs> he, he read it was. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> it's so it's so funny when he goes on these tears. And I don't know, I kind of like it when like toot toot does, you know, he's this dirty old man. Uh-huh. Like, okay, that's how that guy would talk. I don't know, maybe maybe some of you has have some of his jokes in misery, but it's he, he puts in the mouths of characters sometimes where I don't think they would say that. Now, granted, she's in somewhat of an altered state, right? But yeah. at the same time, and we touched on this last time, I think sometimes when he portrays deathly ill people they just they not only become delirious they just become fucking filthy and i just don't uh-huh I, and sometimes it's funny and it works but i'm like man he always does that it's it's, just, it's this very and I, I always feel like that's king just unloading his toilet humor tank or something it just it, mm-hmm. it just it's like compulsive almost yeah and it's like it just takes me out of the story when it goes that far People don't talk like that. Would she? No. What, what was the her bitch box? What was it? Like, yes. Right. Yeah. Take taking the breeze, and I just hear him because the voices he does in this book are fantastic, and so a lot of these are like kind of burned into my brain because I've listened to it so many times. But yeah, <laughs> yeah I've, I've made this criticism on other episodes, but I think sometimes he just wants to play with the writing a little too much because he'll take mm-hmm. a common nursery rhyme and then kind of spice it up. Like, oh yeah, yeah. Eeny meeny miny mo, get your tigers in a row, and it's like. <laughs> It's not really the way it goes, but it's just him playing with it. Just so. use just use the regular nursery rhyme. Yeah, that, that's, but I know. But it's there's always some variation, and I'm like, wait, is this like a main version? And I'm like, no, no, this is just Stephen King having fun. The main, the main variant. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think Bitch Box is a good example of him. Yeah, the, the rhyming scheme is like one of my least favorite things that he does. He and w- was it the it episode we were talking about? Um, I think Randall is mentioning the the wisecracking ghost. And even, even though that's mm-hmm. the, the yeah. tiger thing, isn't that it does come from this, like, Oh, I'm just going to be real jocular and fucking dirty and fuck you. <laughs> you know, it's just really <laughs> well, it's like the, it's like the happy crappy thing. Like it's, he yeah, does yeah. these little sayings sometimes to like kind of distinguish exactly. different characters. And for me, it just takes me out. Cause I'm just like, did this person like walk out of the world from the movie cool world? Like I, I it's just like they all are cartoon characters when they yeah. do this type of stuff. Like their and, Simpsons catchphrases. Yeah. Cause I mean, there, there are things that, when you look at reality and you see things that people say and you know, little quirks that people have most of the time, they're not sayings that people say over and over again. They're like little words that people like adjectives that people will will always use. Like my brother uses the word beautiful all the time and drives me (laughs) fucking nuts. Like I'll be like, everything's not beautiful. Like it's not like find a different word. And like, he always gets, he gets angry and and I, and I get it because I've always corrected him on different words and stuff like that. But it's like word uses that are like repetition is one thing. But like when you're making like weird sort of like cutesy words, for people like it just does it seems so like um uh like um like potpourri almost it's just like it's so like flowery it just doesn't work for me like it's it seems so like too colorful in that Mm -hmm. respect um and he's done he did it a lot in his early 70s stuff i felt like um and and lately it's 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 more like 
pop cultural references that he does that um, seem like, or maybe like hip slang that's that maybe seems like he thinks is popular or is more popular than it actually is though i don't know it's, it's stuff yeah. bothers it drives me nuts sometimes no, that's a that's a beautiful point mike um i think sometimes he does try to <laughs> yeah shut the um, fuck up <laughs> did you have another one flieger another another uh, um, not, not a passage per se but the more and i liked paul he's one of my favorite characters in the story but i don't know how dynamic of a character he truly is mm-hmm. um you know the big I mean, obviously, like, taking coffee out of the jail is a big deal. That's a very heroic act. But the really heroic thing would be not to execute him, but instead mm-hmm. coffee kind of is like, it's okay, I, you know, I got to go. And Paul's like, well, he wants to go anyway. So it's like, <laughs> I don't really know what Paul learned. He's more of just a, like, kind of a perfect narrator. He's not a very flawed character. And you don't have to be flawed, but just putting critical lenses on. Maybe his character yeah, could have given a little bit more dimension. I hadn't, I hadn't really thought yeah. that yet really, like, because he, he, he doesn't, doesn't really suffer. He, if anything, he keeps getting cured and doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think he gets punished by time a little bit, but yeah, he doesn't really have. I mean, he I guess is with um, Jan dying like she does young, but but that's not really a result of. I mean, ah, maybe it is. I guess you could. Yeah, argue I mean, I guess if you cut did. other people's life early and then you live long, but well, I, mean, I have a but he has I have companionship some K- too. I have yeah. some King's Dominion about that uh, to mm. discuss with in, in conjunction with another book that yeah. all of us have read, but we haven't reached on this podcast yet. But I agree, Fligger. I, I felt that his dynam, dynamism or dynamic, I don't know what I the word is. Dynam, dyn, dynamism. Dynamism. I yeah, I think. I think. Yeah, like, I think it doesn't really kind of, it doesn't bobble or surf, come to the surface until like those last sections at the end when you actually mm-hmm. get a sense of pathos for him. Um, because before that, he really just serves as like a narrative vessel. Yeah, he's kind exactly. of like the uh, Nick, like a Nick Carroll kind of narrator. From I, mm-hmm. I feel like I always talk about that, but from yeah, from Great Gatsby, just this idea of someone who observes. Yes. And I mean, it's interesting because he is the protagonist, right? But yeah, I don't know. And it's it's funny too because I I always think I'm like, well, do characters have to change? Sometimes that can be interesting. But some of the issues we have with the book, like we said last time, was to your point, Flager, this idea that he. It's it's like he learns something, but he doesn't really put it into action in his life. You know, like I think yeah, he know he I, I, knows what he does bad, but he, we don't really see him do that in a way that results in any kind of meaningful change later on in the book. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think you have to. I mean, doesn't you can do anything you want, right, with writing conventions? But when the story like this is largely a conventional tale, at least structurally, I think adding in that sense of mm-hmm. dynamism. I can't, now I can't say it, Mike. <laughs> avoiding, <laughs> avoiding being static, I'll say. The opposite, yeah. the opposite um, of static. But yeah, I just think it would have been, he, because he, he, it was a big risk taking coffee out of jail, but the only person he really would have gotten in trouble with, he saved his wife. So mm-hmm. there weren't a whole lot of consequences there. And also coffee was so passive that it wasn't like he was going to fight. And they sort of knew, like, he's not going to try to escape. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Just that. I still really like the Paul character. Just that was my little misery issue. Yeah. I my And it's funny because I think I think the misery that I'm going to bring up, it's similar to Flieger's in that if King had maybe acknowledged it a little bit more or made it a point of self-awareness, I think it would have worked for me just a little bit. It's not a specific passage, but it's this idea. And I think the reason I criticize it is because he does it in so many books where he where we get a glimpse into the future and we see what happened to every character. Now, granted, part of this book is that Paul gets to live a lot longer than everyone else, right? So they would die. I don't have a problem with people dying um, throughout his life, but between Jan's bus accident, Dean, the the guy who, you know, they 
the kept kind of kept out of the coffee business so he could live a happy life with his wife and kids he gets transferred and gets stabbed in the neck by another inmate like mm-hmm. cruelly like a few months after mm-hmm. this starts um even brutal doesn't live to be that old he lives to i think to be in his 50s and he, he died mm-hmm. he gets a heart attack while eating a fish sandwich now i'm not saying that horrible things don't happen to good people <laughs> throughout their lives but I, when I, th- I think of um the body and how in yep. not, not in the movie but in the novel he chris chambers who actually makes a better life for himself gets his fucking throat slit over an argument at a fast food restaurant and then um, Vern burns alive Vern burns house. alive because someone passed out at a party and left a cigarette burning and then teddy dies in an automobile accident it's I, yeah. I understand that that you know like i said bad things happen to good people and things don't always end really happily but I, and, and in the Green Miles case, I don't mind that they all die, but almost none of them, except I think Harry, get to live into old age, except Harry and Paul. And the ways in which they die are either so mundane or so cruel and punishing that it does feel like King just being a little fatalistic. And, w- mm-hmm. and once again, if he was really acknowledging that, oh, there is some higher force that is, that is really intentionally punishing us for what we did to John Coffey, I would get it, but I, it doesn't really quite go there. So I think, I think sometimes, and because we'd seen it before in The Body, I just get a little, okay, King, not everything has to be the worst thing imaginable, you know? And I, I yeah. think it just puts a little bit of a damper on the end of the book for me. I don't know if the rest of you like that, they, though. They also don't have to be so memorable, you know? <laughs> yeah. It could just be like, oh, is someone, you know, hey, I heard he passed away. And that yeah. seems far more natural on. to me than anything, you know? I, th- I think Dean's yeah. especially feels so cruel. It's like he, he requests a transfer and then he gets uh, stabbed in the neck by a prisoner mm-hmm. later on. It just feels awful to me, but yeah. And if that had been the only one, if it had been Jan and Dean and then everybody else just like died when they were old, I feel like it wouldn't stand out so much. Yeah. yeah. It's like he just like kind of falls in love, not falls in love, but he like latches onto these little vignette deaths that he just kind of like wants to throw these creative pieces in. You know? It's kind of, yeah, it's kind of like fetishizing tragedy a little bit I think. that's what i thought too and and that's the problem i have with jan's death because i just felt like why does it have to be this bus accident like mm-hmm. and you could easily have something where you see coffee like on the sidelines somewhere or you know maybe she passes away in the morning or something like that and then you see him you know walk by i don't know something that seems a little more natural than well we were on this bus we were having a pretty nice day and then <laughs> I survive like I'm in I'm like I'm the character from fucking Unbreakable or something I was gonna say yeah like it, it just <laughs> seems does he, so does he talk about like like he's holding her like blood's coming out of her eyes yes she, it's just it's, it's so it's ridiculous it's just so graphic. I don't know it's, it's just so nasty it's it's too much and I and I think Darabont does the right choice in not having I think that so in the too. movie I just I think that's why in Stand By Me and Stand By Me is still sad the fact that Chris gets killed is is still really mm-hmm. awful right and 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 I'm fine with that in Stand By Me because that's what's making him go back in his memory a little bit right but then mm-hmm. do we also need to stack on oh these other two kids no. from the wrong side of the tracks they they got killed in in horrible ways too. So yeah, it's almost like uh, he yeah. saw. It's like King saw American Graffiti in the seventies and was like, "That was a good movie, Tab." Uh, <laughs> I think I'm gonna I'm gonna outdo these endings, uh, and everyone's gonna be John Milner. <laughs> We're just gonna have every death be John Milner. Like it, it does feel on. like that a little bit, and it's such a cheap move in movies. I think. I mean, they do this in um, like in Boys in the Hood, for instance. At the end, Boys yes. in the Hood, I I get it a little bit because part of it is is the way these guys grew up, right? But I feel like if Doughboy walked away and just either faded away or Trey just walked it, watched him walk away, we get it, right? We're like, no, Doughboy, we know is not going to come out on the other side of this. So, like, the movie has done the work already to imply that. But then they put this thing of <laughs> Doughboy got shot like a week later, and you're like, I know, it, just, it just feels a little cheap to me. But I don't know. Um, well, it's like this like last minute like, did we get him enough? Mm-hmm. Let's 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 tug at the tears a little bit more. Here we yeah. go. 
uh, last well, one's like, in the a, like a Hail Mary. Was it Ber- Bertram got really lost in the si- or the seventies <laughs> in the sixties, and it's just like, 60s. oh wait, so did like he get? Of, did he become a hippie? Did he go to Canada? Yeah, did, did he, he go to? Did Vietnam? he join the Manson cult? Or you know? Yeah, you know, but, yeah. you never know. I guess we'll yeah. find out in the Sandlot reboot coming to Disney Plus uh, in the future. <laughs> is it called the Sandlot? The Sandlot. <laughs> I think it's it's probably good. I think it is just called the Sandlot again. Or yeah, what if they called the Lot? But then Disney, then Stephen King fans think it's Sam's Lot. Just it's this whole PR nightmare. God damn it. Uh, you know, there used to be a house here, and all the King fans are just like, the Marston house, and it actually ends up being like James Earl Jones' house. From the, yeah, the, the, they're going to be like, is that my dad's A-Rod ball? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they, go, they, they go and they're like, oh, there's a, there's a dog there. It's Cujo. <laughs> like, yeah, like, right. That would be a good Castle Rock season three. Mm-hmm. I mean, it probably would no. be like that, R.I.P. And, to be honest, yeah. Um, well, no, if no one has any other misery to discuss, we're going to a little bit more of a positive category right now. And I it's, have, um, can I say one more thing? Oh, please do. Yeah, yeah. I had a misery. And the other thing that really kind of bugged me about this book, and it kind of like informs how I see the whole thing, is I feel like there's a worldview that he has, that Paul has, where... And so the passage I'm talking about is when he's talking about the little boy with a scar on his face... And oh, who gets like, bit by the dog, Bert Hammersmith's yeah, kid? Yeah, and that that story is horrifying, but, like, he spends an entire paragraph talking about how miserable this kid's life is going to be. Like, um, yeah. he would never be asked to play spin the bottle or post office and would probably never sleep with a woman not bought and paid for once he had grown to manhood's times and needs. And it's just, like, he goes overboard trying to describe this, and it really just kind of, like, it's a pattern of seeing everyone who is not, like, a like this perfect like white man model of humanity or wife as like less than you know and they're gonna suffer you know and it's like and it's, it's just, just a scar and scars are cool exactly <laughs> they are cool hey i got cool. a scar on my face i'm cool you know i still got two <laughs> eyes though so yeah yeah i guess that what yeah it's a, it, it, yeah maybe a little bit of ableism i mean granted it well, i can't remember is that coming from that's paul saying that right not that's Bert paul in his yeah. head thinking that yeah. And that's the thing because we keep seeing that and that's when it kind of slips past being Paul and kind of feels like King is saying that, you know, like it kind of feels a little more like endorsement when it doesn't in other places, you know? Yeah. No, and that's... it just really kind of shades the way I look at the book. This that's time. what I'm saying, man. Paul's, Paul's a little bit more of a dick in the, in the novel. He is. Than, yeah. than in the movie. Um, well, cool. So, yeah, if, if no one else has any more misery to discuss, um, everyone get on your coats. It's a little cold out. Maybe bring some sage and some, I don't know, what keeps away the spirits. I guess we're about to find out in the cemetery. What's the bottom of the truth? Well, sometimes that is better. The person you put up there ain't the person that comes back. It may look like that person, but it ain't that person. Whatever lives in the ground beyond that cemetery ain't human at all. Welcome Oof, to. I almost tripped over the deadfall over there. <laughs> <About that. laughs> whoa! <laughs> really specific. Oh, whoa, 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 yeah. whoa, the Wendigo Force almost. <laughs> Yeah, I think I heard the. Uh, I, I think I, I just, saw the, the 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 old neighbor walking across the 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 deadfall. Yeah. His hair was silver. I, I um, just rewatched oh. uh, the original Pet Cemetery, and I completely forgot um, this. The, it's on the deadfall scene where Lewis is going to bury Gage. Mm-hmm. That I think it's Judge, Judd's face that emerges from the quarry, surrounded by yeah. rocks. It's so yeah. weird. I, I think I, it's just foreshadowing forgot. that I like, like it. these it's are cool. going to be like this is the consequence that's going to be, you know, coming in the near future. 
if you bear if you bury Gage here, this is who will die. Um, it's um it's funny because it reminded me of uh of like Muppet Christmas Carol where the door knocker morphs into mm-hmm. uh Statler Marley's uh, you know Marley's face. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, it was I, I, I know I know Pet Cemetery so well as a film and I always forget about that part. I'm like, oh, that's an interesting choice there. That's cool. There are a lot of weird kind of things that 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 she does in that movie like even just like the way the lighting is when Mm -hmm. um missy dies in the oh yeah i I always laugh at the way the way lewis hits his head is really horrifying to me on the nightstand so so bizarre i remember we brought that we brought that up with her too when we when we when we interviewed mary lambert i was was gonna it's funny because it's been a long time since i've listened to that episode i I just did a slay samara on it i even mentioned that i'm like oh we interviewed her in the losers club i can't i wonder if they asked her about that what did what did she say about that was she like that was that was that was you know total accident but it was on so screen weird. and he didn't he stayed in character it didn't you know it didn't change and everything but it's so yeah it was looking. definitely a concern because you know it could have taken a you know could have taken it, his eye yeah, out I, every time i watch it i wince at that scene it's so hard to watch Ugh, man awful. well you know we could talk about what makes us wince in the cemetery or we could talk about what makes us wince in the green mile <laughs> or i think we go with the ladder yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well um. so we talked a little bit about this last time how the, and, and, and even in the marketing, they were trying to make it like it was one of King's spooky ooky books. And I don't think that's necessarily the case. That being said, um, there's one scene in particular that was really frightening to me. And maybe we all have the same scene. We'll see. Um, and, and so, like I said, I would not classify this as a horror novel, but I still think no, there were some thrills, chills, and spills to be had here. So maybe let's go around and, and talk about everyone's the scariest scene. And, and I think if there's overlap, that's fine because you know, they're fewer and far between here, but they are still there. Um, yeah, yeah. He's, he's my namesake on this episode, but I mean the, the whole bad death of Edward Delacroix, Delacroix, mm-hmm. Delacroix, uh, mm-hmm. sequence to me was way more gruesome and grislier than I imagined. And aside from some of the racial comparisons we brought up, I thought it was quite effective. Like where his eyes are bursting into white jelly mm-hmm. and just mm-hmm. this idea that he's not just burning, but everything's just sticking to him in the movie. It's still pretty frightening, but from what I remember, I think he just, the thing lights on fire and we get a glimpse of his body later. But this, this was like true body horror, mm-hmm. just a really visceral scene. What did the rest of you think that was it? Was it effective uh, for you? And like I said, way grosser than I remembered it being. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Talking about his skin peeling off, like when you move that the was, helm, the cat. Yeah. And like even the, the stuff that they said was like this, the, the chest when they're like peeling mm-hmm. things off of the chest, like how the pieces of skin was falling off of that. I mean, it's just, you couldn't do that on screen. You know? it, it I mean, wouldn't it, work it would in take, the film, it would, right? Like, it, no, I don't it think would it change would the movie. That. I feel yeah. like it would totally change the movie. Uh huh. Yeah, um, his the the eyes are what really what really got me. When how and how long it is too, and the fact mm-hmm. that they they don't really get to go on this in the movie, but the fact that they kind of just have to let it happen, right? Like yeah. you really get a sense in the book of how long this is going on and how long does it actually take a guy to die when he doesn't have the water serving as kind of a conduit to pass the electricity through himself. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I was just, and it, and it, it's funny that a whole chapter is named after that, but it is a pretty pivotal event because of it does lead to, you know, leads to all this, this chain reaction of stuff with Percy. But yeah, I, I, I read that chapter or that, that part of the novel really late at night and not, not that it gave me nightmares, but it, it was one of those late night reading experiences where I was like, "Ooh, this is yeah," making me kind of kind of cringe. It's um, funny because I, yeah. I I I was approaching that before bed, and I and just like, I can't, like I right can't before do it. that that break <laughs> where it goes into the new book about you know it's, it's titled his death. I was like, eh, "I want to save this for the morning." Yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll read I'll read this over coffee. I think that'll be better to to have a, a breakfast um, read. 
over coffee? Was, was, eh, like, I don't think it's too bad. Like, like, oh, the drink, not, yes, not over co- it was coffee spelled like the drink. Yeah. Um, ah. <laughs> what, what, what um, other scenes did, did that, you know that for what? me Del, was like, Del Croix, I, just in regards to that though, I say, yeah. if you can't do the time, don't do the crime. Oof. <laughs> well, kidding. I mean, just, well, here's think, the thing. Yeah. Here, here's something to consider. Here's something to consider based on what we were talking about in misery and the fact that you have all these gruesome deaths. This is kind of a loose little theory here, but there is some symmetry to the the deaths of, you know, of the consequences to what their actions were. So like if you look at, you know, Dell's past, he caused a fire, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it burned everyone and that caused, you know, he basically gets set on fire here. So it's almost like King's operating in the same way as the writers do for any Nightmare on Elm Street movie uh, <laughs> post the third one, <laughs> yeah. where it's like someone's like, you know, I really like puppets. And then like they end up being a puppet in like their dream <laughs> oh. or something like that. You're like, oh, cockroaches. Yeah. And then they turn into a cockroach. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like you could make the argument that like King is working with that sort of um, cautionary tale, uh, morality mm-hmm. tale there. I don't know. But that's that could be a reach. No, no there's I, a little I, bit I, I, I saw that as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. just the fact of like the flame shooting out of him, right? You're like, okay, I see mm-hmm. this connection. Yeah, and I think I'm thinking too because, I mean, they're all bad, right? Because the gang electrocute is not fun. Um, but coffee has relatively smooth execution, which mm-hmm. I mean, he shouldn't die at all. But I guess if if we're going, if we're like categorizing the awfulness of the deaths in the book, his is at the bottom of the bottom, which is good. See, I, I will I will say though with coffee though, there is the one part where they talk about how, you know, his ankles are strapped, mm-hmm. but his knees are pissing. Mm. And it's he has so much strength that, you know, if you weren't holding him down completely, like his legs would just be going all over the place. And that, that was a really impactful visual for me. Mm. Yeah. There yeah, there is we, one it is oh, funny because we get to see gosh, I, I three electric chair executions we i mean we, and we could see them mm-hmm. in detail too between between bitterbuck uh delacroix and coffee um yeah and, and he, king does do a good job of differentiating them i think as well mm-hmm. how many miracles do we get uh two we get right no three three, right? three i guess Cause yeah because the, the mouse, mouse the urinary tract infection so, and then melly s- some symmetry there uh you could also say mm-hmm. killing percy is a miracle oh that's and, true or not killing percy but you know killing you're warren. killing uh killing warren, warren yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And, and destroying his warren, mind warren's death yeah. is interesting too because i you know they talk about he how he wants to go out in some sensationalist blaze of glory and he really doesn't he actually has the most muted unglamorous death in, in the whole book um mm, which kind of mirrors how like he thinks he's this wild asshole guy and really he's just a little twerp yeah he is he's like this creep this like yeah. natural creep what, what other what other scenes did were people one, disturbed by there's one line that still stays with me um king is so good at doing this with these little one-liners that just ring in your head forever um and he's he's especially good at that when he's inferring ghosts uh for me mm. it's on 358 uh in the pocketbooks edition i i read this early early in the morning so it was still dark out and everything and this just chilled me it's when uh they're walking coffee mm-hmm. uh past uh at like outside to get to um you know to, to the truck and he looks over and he's noticing that like coffee won't move and he's like they're still in there pieces of them still in there i hear them screaming like that line mm-hmm. And the fact that it sticks with Paul and with Coffee and with all the the, the men that heard it, that just oof that got, that got me because mm-hmm. I think about that so many times when you go to places of trauma, and you know I, I you also hear about people that visit places that are historical uh, battlegrounds or you know places where horrific things happen like when people talk about whether if they go to Auschwitz or um, 
you know, or Dachau or any of the prisons, like they, there's a feeling that you have there and people mm-hmm. always kind of a song, uh, like a, a parallel or connect that to that feeling that you're hearing the souls like reaching out and pining. And that idea of just this chair, this menacing chair, which obviously is, is already creepy enough, this, this beacon of, you know, evil and the, 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 the sense that it taketh away the, the death. Um, just the lone singularity of the chair sitting there in that line, just, I, I keep thinking about it. And so for me, that, that's the scariest part of the book for me, that little line, just that one line. Nice. Uh, I have what about, one what, more to Yeah, add. go ahead. Yeah, no, please. Um, mine, is, it's not as big of a deal, I guess, uh, but the Mr. Jingles, when he gets stepped on, oh, um, it there's is a creepy specific line yeah. where he's like, I, when I picked the mouse up, I winced at the feel. There were so many splintered bones poking out at various mm. spots of Mr. Jingles' hide that it felt like picking up a fur-covered pincushion. Mm. And it's just something about animal suffering that really bothers yeah. me. Um, yeah, I know I, that doesn't bother you guys as much. You know, you'd rather see it. <laughs> um, no, that, that whole that, jingle that's sequence really is to me. Yeah, that whole yeah. jingle sequence is really riveting. Yeah, and and, and it, I, I love it when any book can do this. You know, it's something you you know how it's going to end. I've seen the movie, I've read the book a million times, but it, I I really was still in suspense of oh, is Jingle Mr. Jingle's going to make it? And not only does he make mm-hmm. it, he gets lived longer than any mouse uh, <laughs> in the history of of the earth. Uh, Jen, what about you? Any any? And it's okay if if you enlisted the uh, some of the things we've already talked about. Well, I had the I had some of what we've talked about, and the part where here's they're, he they're still here. Blah. Um, and again, Frank Muller reads this so well, like the way he delivers those lines makes them twice as creepy. Because I had Jan's death there, just mostly I think because of the way he reads it, it just really brings out the the eeriness to it. But I had two, and they were what they were kind of just these small little lines, and one of them was talking about the Dedrick twins and their mom. And it says, it's on part one, page 42. Their mother kissed them goodnight, just shy of nine, when the last light had gone out of the sky. It was the final time she saw either of them until they were in their coffins and the undertaker had repaired the worst of the damage. And just reading that was just like an ice pick in my heart. It was like, oh my God, that's terrible. And then the other one that I had was, speaking of like the symmetry of the deaths, was about the Prez's death. And it's one that has really stuck with me because he does not get electrocuted. He ends up like getting killed in the prison laundry, I think, after his sentence has been commuted. And like his face in the the dry cleaning acid or something. Oh, um, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And it said, as for the press, someone shoved him face first into a vat of dry cleaning fluid and held him there. When the guards pulled him out again, his face was almost entirely gone. They had to ID him by his fingerprints. On the whole, he might have been better off with old Sparky. But then he never would have had those extra 12 years, would he? I doubt he thought much about that then, though, in the last minute or so of his life when his lungs were trying to learn how to breathe hex light and lye cleanser. And just like thinking about your lungs trying to learn how to breathe these chemicals just has really stuck with me and always disturbed me. I think that's a good example also of I, I feel like a lot of the criticisms we give King on this podcast is when his writing feels a little bit overwrought, a little bit extra, a little bit purple. And he does do that sometimes, right? We always talk about how he just keeps a bad paragraph going for three lines too long sometimes. Uh-huh. And I think hearing you read that out loud, it does remind me when he keeps it simple, he's capable of just some really effective, gorgeous, chilling prose. I actually like that mm-hmm. stark minimalist king um, a little bit better because even yeah. there he doesn't, he doesn't go into a ton of details about how the guy's face looks or, or lack of a face looks. He doesn't really go into what the chemicals actually did to him, but just more this, like you said, this idea of lungs trying to breathe a foreign liquid. That is really, really unnerving to me. Mm-hmm. 
any uh any like i said this was this was always going to be a short section in this book right it's not like we're reading Mm -hmm. uh, pet cemetery here but any any other uh any other spooky yuki stuff yeah go ahead mike um, I, I thought it was really chilling when on page 157, again, of the pocketbooks edition, uh, when Paul is just going to watch television and he sees Percy on the television screen, mm-hmm. um, there's, there's something really chilling about what media does with our memories. Uh, I, I remember talking, I, I love talking to my dad. Um, whenever I'm home, uh, about old movies, like we always watch like TCM when, you know, when we're at home. Um, and I love watching movies that he saw in theaters, you know, back in like the fifties and sixties because the cognitive dissonance between then and now is just so it's, it's added so much, so many layers of memories to it and so many rewatches. So when I hear his insights to it, what he's, I know what he's seeing on screen is different than what I'm seeing on screen. Mm -hmm. Um, and the, there's this passage here um on 157 that i guess could be construed as word processor but i just got it cemetery just because it really kind of shows the um in in a cynical pivot the 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 cruel ways of life um he says for an old fart like me that's sort of soothing uh basically to be down there watching amc uh there have been many (laughs) a good nights when i've slipped right off the sleep on the ugly green sofa in front of the tv while francis the talking mule one more pulls tonal o'connor's skillet out of the fire or John Wayne cleans up Dodge or Jimmy Cagney calls someone a dirty rat and then pulls a gun. Some of them are movies I saw with my wife, Janice, not just my lady friend, but my best friend. And they call me the clothes they wear, the way they talk and walk. And even the music on the soundtrack, all those things call me. They remind me, I suppose, of when I was a man still walking on the skin of the world instead of a moth-eaten relic moldering away in an old folks' home where many of the residents wear diapers and rubber pants. First off, that's enough to warrant a cemetery for me. Uh, Then (laughs) he says, there was nothing soothing about what I saw this morning, though. Nothing at all. And then, you know, he goes on to talk about you know what he saw and he saw the ghost and a lot of it is just because it's all day residue in his head and he's just thinking about all these characters and brad dolan reminds him of percy and he's talking about percy and yada 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 but again it's that line like that 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 king can do where he's just like there's nothing soothing about what i saw this morning though nothing at all Mm -hmm. king is so good at doing those those uh those hooks those those cliffhangers where you don't even need to say anything else you just you can kind of he he's already done enough of uh enough inversion uh in, you know inferring uh, enough alluding and i love that and that's one of the reasons why some of the scariest moments in his books for me aren't even the stuff that you see it's the the situational stuff that he alludes to mm-hmm. um i think about like the shining and about how you don't even really see what's in the hallway when he hears the you know the, the dog the man in the dog costume walking around mm-hmm. the hall oh, like he yeah, just kind yeah. of he just hears it and then eventually he does see the thing down the, the the end of the hall but like your imagination plays so many tricks on like on you when you when you think about that stuff but yeah that tied with the 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 crippling reality of knowing that <laughs> we're all just going to be a body bag one day mm-hmm. is just i don't know i it's it's hard there there's a place in lincoln park in chicago that was right next to Best Buy when Best Buy still exists. I think now it's a Target. But we'd walk out and I'd be like with my brother at the time. And we I remember like one time we like bought a PS4 and we were like so excited. We we're like, oh, we're going to go home and play Star Wars Battlefront. And then like we did walked he say, by the, Did he say this PS4 is beautiful, Mike? He said this is a beautiful, <laughs> uh, beautiful game. Beautiful um, machine. And I was like, Philip, you got to stop using that word, but let's go play this game. Um, <laughs> and I just remember walking by the, the, this like nursing home that was right next to the Best Buy. 
and it just always just kind of like like takes Mm -hmm. the it just punches me in the gut because you just see like all these people that are sitting there and i guess they're comfortable like he says you know in that passage watching that movie but in reality you're stuck with these memories and Mm -hmm. god memories hurt they really do i i get a lot of flack uh, for saying this and I know one of my buddies Phil Casores gave me shit about this one time when I said like memories are you know are, are a dagger or something like that I said something really cynical about it but I can't imagine when I'm older and I'm sitting there and I'm going to look fondly back on memories I'm going to be seeing them as as as, as a it's kind of like the the carrot in front of the horse for me maybe that's just me looking at life half glass empty um yeah no i think i think it's something you have to actively fight against in a way yeah you know because i find myself as i get older and maybe it's just this year because we can't see people like we used to and we're just thinking about times that weren't this year which is every other yeah. year in life and yeah it's i'm not i i would say i'm an i am a nostalgic person i don't usually find myself getting crippled by nostalgia but i have this year in a way that i haven't before i, I found that it's something i have to have to actively fight against and make sure I'm looking toward the future and being in the moment and not just reminiscing or longing for the past. And like I said, I think for me personally, a lot of that has to do with just the year we're in, right? Like we've been almost mm-hmm. a year now of not, not traveling, not seeing people, not doing the things we're used to doing. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I think it's something for anyone that they have to worry about it as, as they get older, for sure. As I just think of like the Facebook memories thing. I think that's the cruelest thing that anyone, that anyone has ever <laughs> yeah, done. Yeah, yeah. Don't, don't open that stuff. Yeah. It's the worst. It's like, but it's not. Some of the time, sometimes it's just not even like by control. It just happens. I know it's, it's programmed pop though up. to get that out of you. That's why it's I like, hey, three it. years ago, this was happening. It's like, you, wow, you, you I looked, went, I looked thinner, and I had more hair. Awesome. Like you know, you went, just, no, I, yeah, I, I get that a lot. I'm like, when I see the when people even when people tag me photos, I'm and I don't know, I'm not that insecure, but I'll be like, oh man, I had so much more hair a few years ago. <laughs> like I look at that. Um, hey, you know he's holding his daggers. Is Mark Zuckerberg, Mike? He's, you got you got to take the daggers away from him. <laughs> yeah, well, Zuckerberg's my favorite. I love Zuckerberg. Yeah, he's a good guy. Um, um, <laughs> fucking sucks. Um, <laughs> well, on, hope he's on, on the Green Mile one of these days. Uh, no, I'm just joking. <laughs> Jesus, we're, we're just joking, everyone. For yeah, yeah we're I'm just sure joking, we'll fa- yeah, share this episode on Facebook and uh, you know, listen. To yeah. it. Um, <laughs> Why yeah. don't we move on to our next category, uh, <laughs> which is a little something called Word Processor of the Gods. And we're going to make a new rule. Whenever I'm in here, you hear me typing. Whether you don't hear me typing, whether the fuck you hear me doing in here, when I'm in here, that means that I am working. That means don't come in. Now, do you think you can handle that? Yeah. Fine. Why don't you start right now and get the fuck out of here? Welcome to Word Processor of the Gods, a cheerier section of the podcast, <laughs> where we uh, we talk about some of our favorite individual writing, individual passages, sentences, which we do a little bit in Cemetery also, but this this doesn't necessarily have to be spooky. Um, I know, I don't know if this is my favorite paragraph, but it's just the one, I don't know, I feel like I always go for late in the game ones. Um, I'm just going to, if it's okay, read read just this last uh, this last little graph. Um, cause I think it's weird. I think this drives home the theme of the book in a way. I maybe wish it was driven home just a little bit earlier on. I think this is the most punishment and penance we get from, uh, um, from Paul Edgecombe. Okay. So this is obviously the end. The, it's the end where he's just, he's just in Georgia pines, essentially waiting to die when everyone else around him has died, including Elaine, his friend and, and Mr. Dingles and no one else has. 
I lie here and wait. I think about Janice, how I lost her, how she ran away red through my fingers in the rain, and I wait. We each owe a death. There are no exceptions. I know that. But oh, sometimes, oh God, the Green Mile is so long. And I feel like that does really bind the Green Mile to the rest of the book as this metaphor, not just for these death or inmates, but for everyone, right? It's, I mean, the Green Mile mm-hmm. is life. It's the walk toward death. And Paul's is especially long because of everything he did. Like, that's the that's the closest the book gets to me to recognizing sin and penance. And I think mm-hmm. it, it, it really does work for me because it solves a lot of the issues that we have with um, Paul's character along the way, at least for me. So that's, that's kind of my, my G O A T um, uh, paragraph for the book. Uh, but what, what about the rest of you? Um, it's kind of related to the one it's the page right before what you just read, Dan. And it's um, when he, I think kind of his thesis on religion, I think kind of comes out when he's, um, uh, just kind of reflecting, and he says, I think back to the sermons of my childhood, booming affirmations in the church of pray Jesus, the Lord is mighty. And I recall how the preachers used to say that God's eye is on the sparrow, that he sees and marks even the least of his creations. When I think of Mr. Jingles and the tiny scraps of wood we found in that hole and beam, I think that is so. Yet the same God sacrificed John Coffey, who tried only to do good in his blind way, as savagely as any Old Testament prophet ever sacrificed a defenseless lamb, as Abraham would have sacrificed his own if actually called upon to do so I think of John saying that Wharton killed the Dederick twins with their love for each other and that it happens every day all over the world if it happens God lets it happen and when we say I don't understand God replies I don't care and that part is stuck with me and just kind of I think it's like the melancholy ending of like yes all of these things happened I don't know what the bigger meaning is I just know that they happened and that I'm powerless you know? Yeah, yeah I mean, that, that, that reminded me a lot of, I was going to save it for King's Dominion, but the Pavlar that Roland has with Flag, when mm. the idea of like the indifferent God, the I don't understand, and God's like, I don't care. It's the mm-hmm. size that Ooh, defeats that's us of the universe. That's a, yeah, I think that ties to what Flieger was saying before, too, like, like, like Paul being this mostly reactionary character, um, mm-hmm. because once again, he doesn't quite put those lessons into play, like he has the cognizance and the, and, but maybe he's realizing them so late in his life at this point, right? Maybe he didn't realize them when he did kill coffee and it's taken decades to, to really put these into action, but there's not, there's nothing left for him to put it in action toward all his friends are dead. He doesn't have any kind of job that has any sort of moral weight on himself anymore. He's just this old guy in a nursing home, which is pretty scary right. in itself. It, it really reminded me of like a Kurt Vonnegut character. Cause like Kurt Vonnegut writes himself into his books as sort of an omniscient, narrator Mm -hmm. sometimes a character that interacts and makes observations affects the story but doesn't really change and that's again that's paul for me Mm -hmm. yeah what what was it what was uh one of your passages flieger um i'll go with this one just because i thought it was kind of funny but when paul's discussing what it's like to work with percy he says working with him was sort of like trying to defuse a bomb with someone standing behind you and every now and then clashing the pair of symbols together. In a word, <laughs> upsetting. <laughs> I've had some colleagues like that too, where you're just like, as soon as they walk in the room, you're just, you, you know, your shoulders shrug up a little bit. You're just like, oh God, please don't. Name names. Is there anyone on the podcast? <laughs> it was, uh, <laughs> nice. no, what, no what one a, on the podcast. What about you, Mike? What, what, and I, I know you got some good word processing oh, for I- us. I got a few. Uh, it, one of the it. things I love about King too is, uh, God, if there was ever an author that was destined for AOL Messenger, uh, you know, when we <laughs> used to like put like quotes on our like away messages, and you'd be like, you know, just to have like good quotes that you could look up. King would definitely be at the top. Like this is definitely one of them, on uh, page ninety-five, pocket books. 
In the movies, salvation is cheap. So is innocence. You pay a quarter, and a quarter's worth is just what you get. Real life costs more, and most of the answers are different. Great line. Great lines right there. <laughs> just like, just good stuff that like it's it's like a nugget of truth right there. I love it. Mm-hmm. I would have if I if I was googling things like, you know cynical quotes or something like that or like real life quotes or something like that i'd definitely find that and be like all right i'm gonna put this on my aol messenger uh, away message and uh go to class um another one is is right here on uh page 253 meanness is like an addicting drug no one on earth is more qualified to say than me and i thought that after a certain amount of experimentation percy had gotten hooked on it he liked it he had done to delacroix's mouse what he had liked even more was delacroix's dismayed screams um it's good character building right there, and then also mm-hmm. the, the the other one that um, I have like God, I have a bunch of them in this book. In this book. I can but go like, for it um, one of the things I also love is just when he's able to find the good kickers and the good buttons for any of his sections. You know, I think about like Richard Dreyfus at the end of Stand by Me when he's trying to figure out the ending, and then he stands there and he like turns it off. I feel like that's a great personification of like what King is like probably when he finishes like each one of his sections because <laughs> so many of his kickers are just so fucking good and like. One of them, one of my favorites is, I mean, with with the exception of the ending, the ending is one of the, probably his best li- last line in any book. But um, this last line right here in, in uh, on page 259, again, pocketbooks. Percy nodded and I let him out of the chair. He straightened his uniform shirt, tucked it in at the back, gave his hair a pass through with his comb. Then he looked at us. Okay, I agree. I'm out front for Delamar and I, I'll put it in for Briar Ridge the next, next day. We call it quits right there. Good enough? Good enough, I said. That look was still in his eyes, but right then I was too relieved to care. He stuck out his hand. Shake on it? I did. So did Brutal. More fools us. Mm-hmm. Like that's such a go- cool sentence. Mm-hmm. Like more fools us. I love it. I love it. I, I think too um, that captures, speaking of what Flieger was saying about having coworkers like Percy. Now I don't know if I've worked with anyone who is quite as bad as Percy, but I feel like we do always have this people who, you kind of just have to appease them until they get out of the room, you know? And mm-hmm. it's, and, and, and you just hope that either they get fired before they do anything too bad or that they just don't do the bad thing. I, I, I feel like they capture that really well. Aside from Percy's worst impulse is just this idea of working with someone who you're, you're just, no one's easy around, you know, like you can never relax around them. I think that's really good. Yeah. It's toxic. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Can I do one more quote and then pass it off to you, Jen? Cause I know you have a few more. Yeah. Um, so what, this kind of ties a little bit to mud cake or pound cake. Sorry, we're going to call I, it that I, for, I, when we get to Jesus. the minute we're doing yeah, mud cake. We're, we're obviously <laughs> talking about, I have the mud hole in my notes, which I'm yeah. sure everyone does. Big but, bottom, baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> talking about mud cakes, mud, mud, mud flaps. Mud flaps. <laughs> oh, God, man, that's so funny. I, I, love, I love how my favorite thing in that song is how he says, Come around Monday, twas my lucky Monday. I love that yeah. he says twas instead. <laughs> twas my. I love that song. God. Twas my lucky Monday. Um, <laughs> Sorry, um, go ahead, Fleer. <laughs> yeah, now I'm totally thrown off. Well, this is about uh, being in love in your latter, your silver years. Um, but I notice there's a lot, and you know, insomnia. There's a lot of this too, of like, what is it like to be in love when you're that old? And it's something that King writes a lot about, and I think I can only imagine he thinks a lot about. Mm-hmm. But when Paul is talking, is it, I believe, Evelyn in the... Oh, Elaine. Elaine, Elaine, yeah. Mm. He says, a lot of the problems and heartaches that go with being boyfriend and girlfriend have simply burned out of us. And although I know that no one, or excuse me, although I know no one under the age of, say, 50 would believe this, sometimes the embers are better than the campfire. Mm. It's strange, but it's true. 
And I think that's a very sweet passage, the idea of like, you know, the campfire's gone out, it's maybe not burning as hot. Mm-hmm. But I do think back to like when I go camping, and sometimes the best times are literally toward the end of the night when, you know, everyone's a little more relaxed and chill. And if you compare that to what it's like having a love life that lasts the entire span of your life, it's just interesting to think about. Mm-hmm. I had that marked too. Um, one of the ones that's a little similar to that um, is at the very end when he's finished telling the story and it's on part six, page 108. Um, the first morning passed and the first afternoon and then the first shift back at work. Time takes it all, whether you want it to or not. Time takes it all. Time bears it away. And in the end, there is only darkness. Sometimes we find others in that darkness and sometimes we lose them there again. And I just thought that's and then it's followed by the first lines of the book, too, which I thought is just such a nice little bookend for it. Um King's just good had... at talking about time in general. I think even mm-hmm. when he was younger, he was good at talking about time. I feel like his his passages in the Dead Zone and the Stand and now this that it's oh, anytime he talks about aging and time, I, I feel like he has a really uncanny ability to really hit you where it hurts. I, 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 like it never fails, even in, in his worst books. I think he can do that really well. I agree. Yeah, um, and the other one of the other ones that I had was a little bit like that, where it's on page. I'm sorry, part two page 55 and he's talking about the great depression which is so like well i'll just read it first um i suspect there are people who wouldn't understand why that was even after all i've said but they would be people who only knew the great depression from the history books if you were there it was a lot more than a phrase in a book and i thought about that so much now because like five years from now we're going to be telling people maybe 20 years from now we're going to be telling people what this year was like you know and oh we all stayed home for a year but like the actual experience of doing it every single day and not knowing like I just loved how he brought that like that's like we don't think about the Great Depression that way we think about it as like a finite thing but like it just made me think about the experience of being there and it did kind of give me a little more um, understanding of why Paul didn't do what he did you know why like I have criticized him a lot for not acting but I mean there's a good reason that he didn't you know I don't know maybe not a good reason and then sorry the last one that I had that I just love is on the very first page when he's talking about old Sparky and he says, um, and I think that for most men, the truth of what was happening to them finally hit all the way home when their ankles were being clamped to the stout Oak of old Sparky's legs. The realization came then you would see it rising in their eyes, a kind of cold dismay that their own legs have finished their careers. The blood still ran in them. The muscles were still strong, but they were finished all the same. They were never going to walk another country mile or dance with a girl in a barn raising. Old Sparky's clients came to a knowledge of their death from the ankles up, which I think is just so cool and like chilling, you know? Yeah, it's it's funny. I like that he mentions it's oak. There's something that's really creepy about the chair being made of wood. The fact that Mm -hmm. like you wouldn't associate that with being something that's going to conduct electric i mean i guess it doesn't it's the the cap that conducts the electricity but still you would think it's more of a steel thing that yeah the fact that it just looks like an antique oak chair with all this other stuff on it was really creepy to me mm-hmm. what about you mike did you have any any more yeah i had a i had a few um you know there's some just great dreamy descriptions that he does um especially when he's, he starts getting into like a lot of southern gothic imagery um mm-hmm. and just looks really gorgeous and one is on page 294. Again, pocketbooks. Uh, <laughs> I fell asleep thinking of a Piney Woods atonement and the Edward Delacour, Delacroix, Delacour, whatever. Delacour. On fire as he rode the lightning and Melinda Moore's and my big boy with the endlessly weeping eyes. These thoughts twisted their way into a dream. In it, 
John Coffey was sitting on a riverbank and bawling his inarticulate moon calf, calf's grief up at the early summer sky while on the other bank, a freight train stormed endlessly toward a rusty trestle spanning the Trapingus. In the crook of each arm, the black man held the body of a naked, blonde-haired girl child. His fists, huge brown rocks at the ends of those arms, were closed. All around him, crickets churred and nosums flocked. The day hummed with heat. In my dream, I went to him, knelt before him, and took his hands. His fists relaxed and gave up their secrets. In one was a spool colored green and red and yellow. In the other was a prison guard's shoe. I couldn't help it, John Coffey said. I tried to take it back, but it was too late. And this time, in my dream, I understood him. And it's, oof, yeah, just a lot of great imagery there. Yeah, Yeah. mooncalf is a very Faulknerian word, I feel like. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You could just tell he did his research with the Southern writing. And then, like, you know, King always says it and stresses it in non-writing. He stresses it on Twitter every other month. You know, you're not a writer if you're not reading. And you could tell Mm -hmm. he read a ton of Southern literature going into this book. Yeah, the dialect never really bothered me, and I'm pretty particular about Southern accents and Southern dialect. <laughs> <laughs> how how was Mike's just a little while ago? When it, was- it was good. It was nice. <laughs> 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 it was great. I can tell I never you really got to live in the South. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I never. I mean, I guess this the the most South I've ever been was like Tallahassee because I don't really mm. consider Miami the South. That's like kind yeah, of yeah, like Miami. The, the further north in Florida, you get, I mean. It's where we're Flieger and I grew up in near Tampa. We the whole town wasn't southern sounding necessarily, but there was like a a part of town that was like there. Where there were still a lot of backwoodsy people that had southern accents there. But yeah, even that's I wouldn't. Where Caffrey would hang out a lot, and I would be like, <laughs> "Why are you going to a? Why are you going mud bogging?" I mean, we, we did go to. We went to some of those parties. They were messed up, man. I, I don't know. There was. Uh, mm. Hey, those that's mud a, boggers are crazy. Yeah, that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> yeah, uh, did you have one, uh, another one, Mike? Uh, I did, but I, I think we've, I think we've, I think that's a good one to go out on. Yeah, I I agree. (laughs) It's like, it's like in the Faulkner thing though. I think, no, I think that's a good observation. It's like in Saving Private Ryan where they ask Tom Hanks about his wife's flowers and he's like, no, that one's just for me. I love that. (laughs) That, 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 That's really good. Well, um, we're, we're getting out of the class and we're going to dive into the trash right now in my personal favorite category, something for this episode and this episode only is called Mud Cake. <laughs> After all you've been taught, everyone in Bad Mama, everything in the sin. Come to your closet and pray, ask to be forgiven. He's a nice boy, Mama. You like him. You really like him, Mama. Welcome to Mud Cake, aka Pound Cake. Where we... <laughs> AKA Trash to Ass. <laughs> trash oh, to Lord. Ass. Oh, God. Where we talk about some of King's uh, bodier passages. Sometimes it can just be gross, dirty things that are funny. Uh, sometimes it can be things that are unintentionally funny and, and not meant to be funny. Um, it doesn't always have to do with sex, but although it does a lot of the time, and a lot of the time it has to do with poop, with pee, with just scatological <laughs> humor in general. <laughs> um, I'll go ahead and start. Now, th- this is one that I, I think King knows he's being funny, and I'm just going to read because I think it's it's pretty funny, too. Um, it's when they're doing the mock execution for the chief before mm. chief actually gets executed, and old Toot Toot has to stand in for him. And so they're doing his last rites. They say, God save the people of the state. Do you have anything to say before your sentence is carried out? Yeah, Toot said, eyes gleaming, lips bunched in a toothless happy grin. I want a fried chicken dinner with gravy on the taters. I want a shit in your hat. And I got to have Mae West sitting on my face because I am one horny motherfucker. Um, I, I th- and I th- and King knows he's being funny because th- it makes all the guards laugh. And then Tom or Paul Edgecombe 
chastises them because and mm-hmm. chastises too because he's like if you think of that later on during an actual execution it, you're, we're gonna be in trouble but i actually think that's a case of king trying to be funny and actually being being really funny um and the, i love uh, that you almost said tom hanks i know i, I, I was wondering <laughs> if i was gonna was gonna catch that um and that oh and that was on page uh, i realized i'm like in page numbers 93 of the um of the uh f- the what, who's the publisher of the the first volume or of, of the total volume plume plume it's in that first uh uh, compilation of all the serial novels. This is not too many pages la- is later on 98, which is during the actual execution. I don't think King is trying to be funny here. But I'll go ahead and read it. Uh, so this is uh, this is reading the actual execution of Arlen Bitterbuck, a.k.a. the chief. There was no flopping and flailing such as old Toot Toot had done at rehearsal, only that powerful forward surge as a man may surge forward from the hips while in the grip of a powerful orgasm. Now, <laughs> on its own, maybe that's not the worst description, but I've noticed King in a lot of his books, he always does these bits where people are thrusting forward from electricity or some other force, and he always compares it to an orgasm. He does it in mm-hmm. in It, where the adults are all joining hands and feeling the power surge through them. I think he actually mentions Beverly like thrusting forward three times like she's having sex, and then in, they do it in The Regulators, they do it in Desperate. It, it's just, it's all over the place. So I think, and, and like I said, it is accurate, but... You get a good visual image from that, but I just think it's a device that just strikes me as as very funny. What do you all have? I I didn't write down the dirtiest pound cake. I know I I knew someone else was going to talk about uh, the warden's wife and other things. So yeah, who's who's got some nasty ass mud cake for us? Um, Stop I mean, giggling it, like schoolgirls. Come on, just say, <laughs> there's some, nervous. There's some, I don't know. There's there's just some like kind of cheeky ones that that basically is what caused us to create pound cake in the first place. But like it's early on when uh, Paul's home, and even the dial the dialogue is just a weird weirdly stilted. But I just think it's funny. Um, well, forget that rotten apple and come on back to bed. She said, <laughs> "This is Jan. I've got something that'll help you sleep, and you can have all you want." Mm. Uh, and then Paul's just like, "That sounds good, but I think we'd better not." <laughs> it's just like it, it's always just funny the way because... he says that. It just it seems like, that sounds good. It sounds like they're like debating in like like Billy Madison with like the two <laughs> the two video games. But, you know, Donkey Kong is a very good game, but Mortal Kombat's better. Like, I think I disagree. So, right. It's a very good game. But... Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I, I think sometimes too so with formal. King. He he. I mean, he, his married his married couples always have the most amazing sex lives. And I know we all say silly things when we're having sex or in the throes of passion. But they're all. I think they're always too clever by half. Not to get too graphic, but I don't think my wife and I have ever said something that that zingy to each other. Like, oh, I got something for you. You know, I don't know. It just mm. doesn't feel like people like, talk to you. Susan, shit in my hat, girl. <laughs> <laughs> Nasty. Well, speaking yeah. of saying weird things while you're um, being intimate, one of the ones that I pulled was um, in part six when he has, they have just finished making their sweet, sweet love. Um, <laughs> and he's still on top of her. And then he says, he starts crying, still on top of her, mind you. And she asks him what's wrong. And he says, I know everything there is to know. I said through my tears, I know too goddamn much. If you want to know the truth, I'm supposed to electrocute John Coffey in less than a week's time. But it was William Wharton who killed the Dederick girls. It was Wild Bill. And he's saying all of that. Like, yeah, <laughs> he's probably still inside her when he's yeah. saying that. She's like, uh, Paul, can, that, I'm, I feel bad for you. But can you pull out first? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah you're, you're kind of squishing me a little bit. <laughs> I love so, that. Oh. Yeah, it, it's a very weird time to have that. I guess King was thinking he was in like the throes of passion and he had to like mm-hmm. kind of purge some of these thoughts, but it is a very 
bizarre place to have that revelation. I mean, I'm glad yeah. he's not doing kind of... it while he's thrusting. That would be more disturbing, yeah. I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's an episode of Sex in the City where uh, Charlotte dates someone who cannot climax unless he shouts something really, really offensive. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's what it reminded me of. It's <laughs> kind of funny. What, what else? Uh, one, Who one, else has got one, some stuff? One, uh, the pee-pee poo-poo kind of runs throughout. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, but I, I and a, from a more mature standpoint, I'm like you guys. <laughs> um, I, I saw it as tying to the idea of it being institutionalized and not having mm. control of things, um, whether that's the institution of like a prison, a retirement home, or a disease, like a urinary tract infection or the cancer. Um, you know, the one big one was William Wild Bill throws urine at Harry that he's been saving up all day. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. Um, when Paul describes the retirement home, it's you know the smell of diapers and people yeah. going to the bathroom on themselves. Um, and then even him, when he has the urinary tract infection, when he pees, it hurts. So it's. Mm-hmm. I, I think there's the larger idea of just not having the ability to control your own body, whether it's simple as going to the bathroom or being incarcerated was kind of interesting. Mm, but go back to shitting in the hat. <laughs> no, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, but I, I was, I was looking through the text though. I was like, wow, there's so many references to this. Yeah. Pee pee poo poo. That's it. He loves it. He loves it. One piss yeah. is, uh, even, uh, how Morris, uh, does it, um, on page 48, he's like, I'm not her. Morris said in his cultured Southern voice. But if I was, I'd raise up my skirts and I'd piss on you from the loins that gave you my birth or, or gave you birth or whatever. It's just like, yeah, it's, uh, and when Percy gets the insects in him, I believe he like shits and pisses himself. At he the does. Same time. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's not, it's not bad enough that he pisses his pants. He's got to unload in his back end. Yeah. I, I know. I feel bad. Cause I remember there was this kid in my middle school and there was a rumor that at summer camp, one time he threw up and went to the bathroom in his pants at the same time. And this kid like pulled me aside and was like, "You see him? Do you want to know what happened?" And I was like, "What?" <laughs> he told me that. You and I don't know. see a body that shit yeah. itself. <laughs> I was like, "No, Dan Caffrey's really nice to me." Don't, <laughs> no. uh, you know, I just no, it, did. Was, it wasn't. Sorry, I'm just picking on you today. I, um, I just did watch Grown Ups too, which is my lead. I'm a generous Adam Sandler film watcher, and that is by far the worst of his films. And one of the running bits is that Kevin James's character can sneeze, shit, and burp at the same, or sneeze, fart, and burp at the same time throughout the at the movie. So yeah, it's great. I feel like your ears would pop. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like my eyes would does, pop watching it. Uh, but. Wait, does anyone have? Because we're, we're on the warden. Does any? We we got to talk about. I mean, we talked a little bit about her already, but yeah, anyone want to read any <laughs> Melinda passages? Why don't, why don't you do the honors, Dan? Because I mean, I don't know if it writes on the pages. Let me see if I can. I can. I have three seventy four for that page that you're talking about. Yeah, you got. You got, Mike. If you have the page, you got. Go ahead and read it. Um, oh Lord. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you could. I think you could find it on there if you want to take the honors. <laughs> it, just it, Google but... find mud hole. Okay, wait. Hold, hold yeah, on. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. I'll be here. Acting, like Dan hasn't dog-eared this page like ten times. Right. Here, I got it. Uh, <laughs> Here, hold on. So here, you just here, get here. my three bookmarks out of the same page. Wait, here we go. Um, okay, Helmore's. Uh, I'm, I'm just Warren Cotton. Oh, here we go. So, well, she says she, when she greets the boys with, "Who are you talking to, you fucking cocksucker?" Um, that's one of them. Uh, she it's I'm a gonna, Rob Zombie movie. Oh, here we go. Like, I got, mm-hmm. No, she does. She, it's like she turns into Rob Zombie character. I'm not going to read the the racial stuff she says. Um, but here we go. Here's the iconic line. <laughs> so funny. I mean, it, it's like. Once again, I don't think it would stand out to me as much if, if we haven't hadn't seen this from other King characters in other books, but here we go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, uh, as if in answer, the old woman's voice rose again, querulous and certain and utterly lost. 
Come in here and poke my mud hole, you son of a bitch. Bring your asshole <laughs> friends, too. Let them all have a turn. <laughs> uh, Which yeah. is in the movie. I, re- I remember the mud hole thing from the film, too. I mean, it is. Does she really say foul. the mud hole thing in the movie? I think she I, does. I'm pretty wow. sure. C- constant listeners, if anyone's watched the movie recently, I'm going to rewatch it soon. Um, please confirm that for us if mud hole does make its <laughs> way onto the celluloid. <laughs> mud hole detectives. Oh, on the d- job. Yeah. D- the does, job. does anyone have any other pound cake or do we, or do we um, want to go I'll out on the cake? Yeah, one go ahead, more. Go with, uh, take, when take Paul does get his urinary tract infection healed, um, he goes home and he has sex oh, yeah. multiple times. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just thought it was kind of funny because that's a fear that you know men have when they were aging. And I think a lot of Stephen King's literature reveals that it was like, well, will I still be able to get it up when I get older? And the funny thing is this book was published in 96. And in 1996, the FDA approved Viagra as oh. a medicine. It was actually fast-tracked and approved two years sooner than it was supposed to be. So <laughs> of course I it wonder, was. <laughs> yeah, gee, I wonder. What they probably were reading like. The Green Mile, and they're like, God, I hope that doesn't happen to me. I know. Uh, yeah. I will say on that <laughs> same section, in that same section, Dan, uh, to, to Jen's point from before, this is literally another section. And as I moved in her sweetness, mm. slipping through oh, it in the way, the slow way that she down, liked, yeah. that we both liked, I thought of John Coffey saying he'd help it. And if, it's like, what are you thinking about this guy while you're having sex with your wife? Like, what are you fucking nuts? Like, I, wait, did someone, was it me or Jen maybe? Who, someone texted on the thread, oh, I just got to the part where Paul is in his wife's sweetness. I mean, was, was that I think me? that was you. Was that me? I can't believe I didn't write that down. I meant, I meant to flag that for yeah. some, some sweet cake. It's just, it's just bizarre <laughs> that, I, I mean, I look, I get it that you're, you know, you think of, if you're going to go by the advice of, uh, one of my favorite characters, Steve from Singles, uh, he, you know, you have to think of things that are going to keep your mind off it so you keep going. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I think about the, the man on death row. The miraculous man I have to yeah. execute unfairly. You also, you shouldn't bring your work home with you too. Yeah. <laughs> right. so, yeah. Or in bed. Um, yeah. But uh, there, there's some other ones, I think. But Yeah, I, I have mean, one more. Yeah, yeah go ahead. That is like the the big one for me for the movie and the book and I actually can't even read it anymore. because it It's not Mudhole? No, it's the moon pie. <laughs> it Ooh. is so disgusting. I have like spit and puke are like my two. I would rather clean up like change diapers and all that stuff. Um, but spit and like chewed up food mm-hmm. is so disgusting to me. I actually had to skip ahead because I couldn't read this. this the time. the mud pie and it's also. like that's like it's ruined Pet Cemetery two for me. The mashed potatoes. Ooh, yeah. I Ooh, that's net. Nice. Yeah, I, I generally don't like messy food faces anyway and there's something about the texture of a moon pie i'm not the, i mean i'll uh-huh. eat i'll eat a moon pie i'm not the world's biggest moon pie fan either so even just like, ugh, that's like <laughs> who I is ju- the world's biggest moon pie fan please ja- jasper from uh jasper from the simpsons right because he remember he sees the that he thinks it's from the future he's like frozen yes. in quickie mart and he, he sees that <laughs> oh my I, god um i also realized two seconds ago i said mud pie not moon pie so the the mud hole is uh really really on the mind you should get off of this and watch uh, uh jeff nichols mud Mm. I've never seen mud um, actually. Oh, it's a good movie. Matthew McConaughey. It's good. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. the beginning of his McConaughey's. Uh, I, like, I do like Jeff Nichols stuff a lot, so maybe I, maybe I will. And I like his well, brother I have something Ben that, Nichols in the band. I have something that, I do have something that ties with the mud. Yeah, go ahead. Um, it's on page two thirty-seven. Oh wow, Kings of Minion right there. Um, Ooh. Yeah, listen, this will be a good segue into the next category. Read it. Oh, nice, ahead. nice. A dish of oatmeal. 
perhaps even a scrambled egg with a sausage on the side. I love sausage. Always have. But if I eat more than one these days, I'm apt to get the squitters. Uh, the squitters. <laughs> yeah, like I thought you were going to say squirts. Squitters. <laughs> it's, it's just, it, for, it's for, squ- maybe it's a typo, but it, says, it just says squitters. Maybe he's, I, 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 he's just got bored saying the squirts. Yeah, I think it's yeah, like a king colloquialism. Like he's like squirt mixed with shit. Squitters. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. Well, um, we're going to move back into the classy zone. Um, well, not necessarily. There's, there's probably some conspiracy theories here, which I don't think are classy, um, especially these days. But uh, we're going to go into a category we like to call King's Dominion. There's another world out there. I know there is. Welcome to King's Dominion, where we talk about this book's connection to the greater King Canon, his other works. And we, of course, have a little... We, we like to put uh, conspiracy theories or, or far-reaching things into room 237, which we'll, we'll save for the very end of this. I did not have a ton, um, so I'd be curious to... I mean, it makes sense because this book takes a place a long time ago. It doesn't have energy vampires. Um, I mean, I guess Fun you could game. argue that... that John Coffey could be in the same class as Charlie McGee and Danny Torrance and a lot of these other characters that have not healing abilities like he does, but um, empathic abilities, telekinetic or uh, tele- telepathic uh, abilities. But I didn't have anything to. Was there even a mention of Shawshank in here? You feel like there would be, but I, I don't. I don't think there was. I, I what what there do y'all is. have? Yeah, no. I thought the the fight in the laundry room with the acid, similar to mm. how he defends himself. But Just I being a prison drama. Fun. Yeah. Yeah, what, what, what there, there are a lot of references to 19, if you had those, Dan. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the, so when um, Mr. Jingles visits and then leaves, uh, Brutal pulls out a pencil and marks him as a visitor, and they're like, what are you doing? He's like, obey in regulation 19. Each visitor oh. to E-Block shall show a yellow administration pass and shall be recorded without fail. I'm so bad at, di- at discovering the 19s in the books. Yeah. Um, there's a, there's more like, 19, too. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. That's the only one I got. Yeah. yeah what there's about? a few other ones. Yeah, go ahead, um, Mike. Well, there's there's some also 237. I thought uh, Brad Dolan, uh, Dolan's Cadillac. Um, mm. No, so oh. stupid. <laughs> I mean, it's probably just a mi- the name on the mind. Uh, yeah. But hey, he's got to uh, get to work somehow, though. Yeah, he right. Maybe. I mean, this Cadillac. isn't too long after Dolan's Cadillac, so it wasn't. It wasn't mm-hmm. too long at all. And I, uh, I think Jen might have said this quote earlier, but it was "Time takes it all, whether you want it to or not." And I thought about the Langoliers. Mm. Mm. Uh, on page 110, I was deeply in love. You see with the young woman who is to become my wife two weeks after my 19th birthday. Oh, oh. man, good catch. I found a 237, and I'm usually really bad at finding those. Yeah, this is my worst um, category. I'm like not good I know, at this. But I found this one. Okay, it's on the last page, and it says, I ha- or next to the last page, I have at least one old man's ill. I suffer from <gasps> insomnia. Oh, <laughs> I mean, I mean, that was, I mean, he is old and, and Ralph is old and insomnia. This isn't too long after insomnia either. So that's true. Yeah, what if Ralph just shuffled over? I was just like, oh, <laughs> no, he cut out the chapter where he's talking about his brother, Ralph, who lives up north. <laughs> Looking for the bus station. I need to get back to Derry. Um, <laughs> uh, on page 158, more 19. Um, crazy, wild and proud of it. Wharton is 19 years old and he just doesn't care. He'd underline that part. <laughs> That's not, that almost the way you read that made it sound like an introduction to a contestant on Room Raiders. <laughs> or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Can I do a pretty deep dive one on the Dark Tower? Yeah, let's. Yeah. I, I would say. Um, I mean, I know there aren't many, so let's let's do. So yeah, let's do some two. I think this one kind of works. Stuff. This is a pretty good conspiracy theory one. Uh, when Wild Bill kills the girls, he heads to the river and he heads northeast along the river, whereas John Coffee heads southwest, and that's where he gets found. And it also in the Dark Tower, Eddie, Susanna, and Roland they head southwest as they follow the path of the beam. So it seems that evil people would head northeast against the beam, whereas the good people head southwest, which is the path of the beam. It also, in uh, The Stand, the characters, when they head from Hemingford home to the Boulder Free Zone to Vegas, they're also traveling southwest. Finally, Mm. in, uh, I believe it's Calling of the Three, when Flag is being chased, he gets to the Western Sea and he heads northeast, whereas Roland heads southwest. So it just seems to be a connection of direction there mm-hmm. that the good characters follow the path of the beam, whereas Flag and Wild Bill go the opposite direction. I don't think yeah, that's. I too love that. That's that was good. Awesome. That's a good one. Okay, yeah. thanks for letting me. It's, it's tricky with all the directions, but mm-hmm. I, I was literally looking at maps, and if you think of a lot of the characters too in the stand, they start in Maine. And I followed the map, and it's literally, I was on Google Maps finding they're always traveling southwest when they're going in a righteous direction. I, it, really it's cool. funny, because I and, I and I feel like, too, King does, and this could come from Tolkien, although in, I think in Lord of the Rings, Mordor is to the east. But either way, I think I feel like King always posits evil in the west. Like, you always have, like, in, the, mm-hmm. in Desperation and the Regulators and the Stand and, and I guess, yeah, the Green Mile, too. Witch of the West. Yeah, you know, it's, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I guess maybe there, I wonder if there is some... I don't know, some kind of study of that, of like Westy, like, I mean, I, hey, I think the, it's also, America's the West. Ties, I mean, we're, we're yeah, evil. but it ties to like that manifest destiny of mm-hmm. like, there, people are always being encouraged to discover the West, right? We already yeah. know what happens in the East, but the West is the unknown. So therefore mm. it's, it could be potentially more evil, but that's still the destiny that we're supposed to travel accordingly. Yeah. Mm. Nice. Any any other? Yeah. That's a really. That's a, I think that's actually a really good. That was an awesome. Two, three, one. seven. That's okay. a good yeah. one. Thank you. I was. I was. No, you. Sure you remembered the two. face of your father, Flieger. Uh, <laughs> oh. I, I. I have. I have a weird loose dark tower, and I think you already mentioned it, and someone might have read it for the cemetery or for word processor. But uh, just in case, I wanted to put that as a you know uh, prelude. Uh, on page one seventy four, it's when uh, Paul is with coffee. A jolt slammed through me then, a big painless whack of something. It made me jerk on the cot and bow my back. It made me think of old Toot, shouting that he was frying. He was frying. He was a dun dumb Tom Turkey. There's no heat, no feeling of electricity, but for a moment, the color seemed to jump out of everything as if the world had been somehow squeezed and made to sweat. I could see every pore on John Coffey's face. I could see every blood spot, uh, bloodshot snap in his haunted eyes. I could see a tiny healing scrape on his chin. I was aware that my fingers were hooked down into the claws in the thin air and that my feet were drumming on the floor of Coffey's cell. It, and you might have already mentioned this already, Flair, so I apologize. But um, that kind of reminds me of like in The Gunslinger when uh, – when Roland is literally like having that sort of like clairvoyant moment with Walter um, or the man in black. And he kind of sees the whole universe. And then when he comes to the, the, the guy's a skeleton or whatever, cause he's been sitting there thinking about it for so long um, that, I don't know. There's that way, the way that he kind of gets in the razor focus of all the movement of the universe just seemed a little parallel there, but mm-hmm. that's a little more room two thirty seven than anything. Reminds me kind of of the the not mud room what in it like the dugout that they build too yeah you know, where they start to see all of the the you know um and the only other one that is something I've been kind of hinting at throughout this the last two episodes is the idea that the the way that King shades good and evil here 
with regards to forces and mm-hmm. those forces basically controlling certain aspects of time and the consequences that come from um, those actions. Uh, we see it when, you know, coffee gets to the uh, the Moore's residence and how the Paul mentions that there was a force that was trying to prevent them from going there. And that force relented when coffee appeared, um, mm-hmm. you know, and he, you know, he says it, he says, I believe there is good in the world, all of it flowing in one way or another from a loving God, but I believe there's another force as well. One every bit as real as the God I have prayed to my whole life and that it works consciously to bring all our decent impulses to ruin. And that kind of reminded me of the way that, um, and this is not so much of a spoiler because we haven't gotten to this book, but the way that time works in 11.22.63 and especially when, you know, Jake in that book he kind of rests on his own impulses, especially when it comes to love and anger um, and how the world sort of kind of, he basically, uh, I think he, it's been a while since I've read it, but I think he ties it to like almost like threads in the world or Mm -hmm. something like that. And like the Mm -hmm. threads keep like popping off and you know, then you have the yellow card man that's like screaming at him and stuff. Mm -hmm. But I felt there was some symmetry there and I felt that it was not just symmetry into, into what's actually happening, but the way King thinks about, um, our worlds and our realities and the beam and yeah, I was gonna know, say it's yada, very yada, similar yada. to to beams beamology. I think. But, yeah, uh, and I pulled something that's related to that too, where he does go visit the Moors' residence, and he says, um, and it was the other spirit, something white. That's how I think of it as something yeah. white, which took control of the situation. And he has mentioned that I cannot put my finger on what book it is, but he's talking about the coming of the white and that it's like this force for good. Now I feel like it reads a little differently, probably twenty years after he wrote it, but he does tend to like personify like these forces and how they are kind of in balance with each other. God, that is right. What is that book? Is It's not, it's not remember. the stand, is it? it? That seems too easy to say the stand, but I think. I can't remember. I it want to say bag of bones, but it's been a while. I was, it was weird. I was going to say bag of bones too, but I haven't read. It's been decades since I've read that one. Yeah. yeah well, maybe it say. is. And we're both right. <laughs> I mean, we'll see you soon. Bag of bones is not too, well, not soon, but right. maybe it's Cooge. You know, <laughs> just, <the Cooge>. <laughs> just joking. Gerald's game. Yeah. It's always Cooge. Well, uh, <laughs> I think those are yeah. some, I think those are actually some pretty juicy conspiracy theories. I wouldn't even call them conspiracy <laughs> theories. I would, I would call, I'll call them facts. Alternative facts. <laughs> yeah. Are so. they theories if they're facts? <laughs> yeah. Um, but it, it's, you know, our, our time on the mile is coming to an end and we're mm-hmm. walking down that lime green linoleum to our final place in the light, much like Tom Hanks does in the Green Mile trailer at the end. We see him walking to that golden light. We are going to go into our final and overall thoughts. Dad, can we go now? You ready? Yeah, we've been ready for an hour. (laughs) Okay, I'll be right there. He said that a half hour ago. Yeah, my dad's weird. He gets like that when he's writing. All right, so obviously the... That we don't have a fun name for this one. It's just our overall, overall thoughts on on the Green Mile, the novel. Um, I'll go ahead and start off, and then we'll pass the baton. I, I we talked a lot about the racial problems of this book, and a, a lot of that too has to do with King, in many ways, taking on I think a pretty noble undertaking, and maybe not always quite meeting it, or not maybe not always quite meeting it when it comes to race and and everything. Um, you can feel him struggling with that throughout the book. Like I've been saying throughout the whole episode, though. I love the plotting. I love the storytelling. I love the serial format. I feel very satisfied when I read the end of this book. And even in some of those last uh, passages that we read in Word Processor of the Gods, I don't want to say it completely absolves King of 
some of his shortcomings earlier on, but at least starts to acknowledge them a little bit and has, it, it starts to really lean on morality and this idea of penance and retribution. So I, when I end this book, I, I feel very satisfied. I think it's a great story. Um, I'm going to go ahead and give it four and a half white wed Pennywise clown noses. I don't know if I'm really overrating it. Um, cause I, I do feel like we were pretty critical on this episode, but I, I, I like to go off of that overall feeling I have when I finish the book. And when I put this down, I felt like it was such a satisfying read. Um, I will go ahead and pass the, but the, you know, not the baton. I will go ahead and pass my Hickory Billy Club um, or <laughs> Truncheon, whatever you want to call it, to Jen. Uh, what's your overall rating? Um, well, this is I probably the sixth or seventh time that I've either read or listened to this. And it's I would put it for a long time. I put it in my top ten, I think. I probably would have given it a four and a half or five if I had not reread it this year um, because there's so much that I love. Mm -hmm. I think it's one of his best endings. I think there's a lot of like catharsis in there. Like I didn't mention this in the word processor, but like the parts where Percy like they like the, the Percy Smackdown is what I kept calling it in my notes. Like that's really satisfying. There's a lot of really beautiful writing and the ending, like you said, Dan, the ending just leaves me, it, it's just like really poignant and a way that I love. And I think it's consistently interesting throughout that said this read, I it just hurt more to read this because I feel like the harshness really stood out every time they talked about a crime. I feel like, and it could just be that I'm reading it in 2020 and I'm yeah, extra sensitive to this to stuff, this, yeah. you know? Right. Yeah. Um, and I just kind of with all of the, the stuff that I talked about in the first episode, like I feel like there's, it's hard for me to draw the line between what Paul thinks and what Stephen King thinks here. Um, that just kind of rubbed me the wrong way and really kind of knocked it down a little bit. That said, I still, I'll probably reread this again. Like I, I really, the things that I love, I think outweigh the things that really bothered me. So I'm going to give it three and a half, um, white wed Pennywise clown noses. <laughs> Who are you passing Percy's hickory oh, truncheon to? I shall pass it to Mike. Oh, um, you know, it's it's funny because I, I actually had a different summary uh, on this, when we recorded the first episode and I didn't know that we were going to split in half. And I just was sitting around with it for a little bit. And the word I keep coming back to in my head is cohesive. You know, I, I think this is such an airtight novel. Mm -hmm. uh, every word counts. Every motivation and quirk feels accounted for. And I think all of that really extends from the fact that, you know, King was able to take his time between each volume as we discussed and kind of wish I could do that again, actually. But mm. anyway, but yeah, the, the, you know, the magical Negro trope will always be a big asterisk over this book and, and rightfully so. Um, and for all the reasons that we've outlined uh, in the last two episodes, um, but it's really hard to dismiss the prose. I, I mean, it's so gorgeous. It's King gone Southern Gothic. It's King doing Harper Lee as I believe uh, Flieger mentioned in the first episode. And you know what? It works. It's it's some of his best writing. I think it proves once again that his strongest muscle to flex isn't horror. <gasps> Gasp. Ooh. But I think it's in the drama department. I, and I, mm. I, I, I'm not kidding. I mean, you think back to every one of his dramatic works, capital D dramatic works that we've covered up until this point. And, you know, like all of them carry enough argument to be seen as like his strongest. I mean, even down to his short stories. So, I mean... Mm -hmm. And what I think what makes the Green Mile so rich is is not just like the prose, but also like the broader meditations that he's bringing here, you know, like on faith, on justice, on morality, and, you know, most importantly, our existence. 
Um, we, we, we talked about the final line. I think it's one of his greatest final lines. Uh, I still mm-hmm. think that even without, even in like considering all the books after this, I think it's one of his, it's still his greatest final line. And I think it speaks to the succinct uh, nature of this novel and, and, and yet also the enduring appeal of it. Um, and because, you know, bottom line is we're, you know, all of us, no matter who we are, no matter what we do, no matter what we believe in, no matter how we define ourselves, um, and this is my own final line, we're on the green mile. So, uh, God, I'm, I'm tossing between, because I'm, I'm between four and four and a half. Um, so I'm going to go with uh, 4.25. <laughs> <laughs> Just a sliver uh, of bright, bright red. red. Yeah, Pennywise uh, clown noses that uh, with a little bit of jolts of electricity uh, to, to melt one of them off. <laughs> yeah, some cartoon yeah. electricity. Yeah. All right, Flieger, bring <laughs> us I, home. I'm, yeah. Bring us home. Um, okay, I think a lot of what you guys said was kind of in my original conclusion, so I'll kind of shift over a little bit here. Um, you know, as someone who was raised religious who no longer is religious i saw that tradition and you know you're always looking for stories to whether they're symbolic or allegories for the bible and in this one i like it because there's some very obvious symbolism but then there's some less obvious mm-hmm. you know it's very obvious that the initials jc you know john coffee is going to be jesus christ but it's a little less obvious that Lacroix means the cross right mm-hmm. so they're peppering in stephen king's peppers in these little things you know he heals the leper right that takes mm-hmm. the sickness out that's pretty obvious but what he takes the evil out, it turns into flies. And in the Bible, in the Old Testament, the Book of Kings, Beelzebub is known as the Lord of the Flies. Love Lord of the Flies. Right? Great book. Yes. So the, but so the, I like that there's the more obvious and the less obvious. You know, it's not a literal, you know, or I shouldn't say literal, but it's not a matching exactly telling of the story of Jesus. But there's enough in there and there's enough little detail that's added. The perfect amount of spice to make you feel like it's something that you haven't heard before and yet something you're completely familiar with. Mm-hmm. So for those reasons, I got to give this 4.5 white, wed, Pennywise <laughs> clown noses. Nice. I think that, I've, I'm not, hey, we, we don't have any gerbilitics here, but I, I think that comes out to maybe four bright, I think four. Yeah, yeah, do some crunch some numbers for us uh, down, down the account department. Maybe it's like 4.5. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, we'll see. We'll see. It's 4.1875. 4. Oh, wow. So, yeah, oh, was, nice. we'll, we'll, so we'll, do, we'll do four then. Either way, we liked it with some caveats. Um, uh, constant listeners, as always, thank you for joining us. Thank you for joining us on the mile and at Georgia Pines, home for old folks where I'm at. Staring out my window, hoping Mr. Jingles is okay. But he's not, because he dies at the end of this novel. But he's lived a long, long, happy mouse life. And we're all in Mouseville now. Um, It's been quite a year for us. We've obviously had more time on our hands this year and uh, have done a lot of content for you. We hope you've been enjoying it. Um, Thank you, as always, for supporting it. But we're not done yet. We have have a few more things in store. Immediately in the pipeline, we have, the, of course, the episode on the Green Mile film adaptation. You get a whole episode on that uh so tune in i don't think it will be are any of you on that i don't know if it will be the same crew yet i think i think i'm gonna hop on that maybe although i am kind of uh green mild out i know we're Um, we're all i think we're all feeling that end of the year burn too and it it doesn't seem to be slowing up just yet maybe we're not in that hibernative state maybe it'll happen soon but either way might you might have some of us on there um it might be a different crew definitely tune in though because there's lots to talk about with the movie as as well as the book and then um a bonus patreon episode we are going to be doing the greatest hits from the word processor of the gods which that's going to be very hard to to narrow down so you don't want to miss that 
Um, anything else? Oh, plugs, of course. Um, let's see. I'm trying to think. Uh, 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 for me, I'm always going to be plugging my old Slay SMR channel. Uh, we just did an episode on Pet Cemetery. By the time you listen to this, there's probably another episode up, so check that out. Um, what about the rest of you? Who, who has some plugs to share? Um, well, this is a, we're about to start December for psychoanalysis, and our theme for this month is going to be Killer Kids. Um, and we're going to start with We Need to Talk About Kevin, which is going to be um, probably heavy, but it'll be it'll be good. And then we're going to finish the month with um, Better Watch Out, which is another crazy Ooh, Christmas killer. That movie is insane. I love that movie. I know. I really love that yeah, movie. Yeah, I am a little nervous to revisit it. But we're also going to do some comfort horror that month. And I just watched today The Hitcher, which we're going to do an Ooh, episode. The original with one? Mel- the original one, yeah, yeah. And uh, Mel Castle is the one who picked that, and she's going to be doing an episode. And then at the end of December, we're going to be watching Gremlins because Dan Caffrey is going to be joining us. I'm so oh excited. I can't wait. I, it's, I, it, I never know because we're obviously not recording this, but we're recording this before and you've listened to it, and I wasn't sure if I could talk about that, but, I, but I'm, I'm talking. Yeah, oh, I'm yeah. so excited. Yeah, I get Gremlins action yeah. figure. It's going to be so fun. I'm really excited about that. Yeah, that's great. Uh, well, my, my girlfriend uh, who runs our socials, uh, she's obsessed with Gremlins she, to the point real, where real I'm staring at, I'm staring <laughs> at three separate gizmos right now that are. Oh, we wow. have all our Christmas decorations out, so we have a a chia pet uh, gizmo, we have a regular gizmo that we got at Austin. We were down at South by. Um, we have uh, a green gizmo that was 3D printed. We have a Gremlins m- montage, and the, the the funny thing is, is that. Um, oh, and then also we also have a drawing that we bought at Riot Fest of Gremlins. It's just ridiculous. And she's only seen it twice, so um, <laughs> it's just the the obsession is, is is hilarious. And she has a Gizmo mm. costume that she wears all the time. But um, <laughs> love Gremlins. You know, huge, not huge to Grem feed heads. any of them after midnight, right? Oh, That's of course, like of course. You know, they, and it's not just because you're going to get those assholes that that are the actual Gremlins. <laughs> it's just because, mm-hmm. you know, I don't, I don't want to hurt Gizmo. He's like such a good guy. You know, I know he's I so he he originally in the original script he became Stripe. Gizmo was the evil Gremlin. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Not my Gizmo. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, I, you know yeah. that Dante, Joe Dante, like totally wanted to do that too. Like, oh yeah, did not I mean, want to the, 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 cute the original script isn't great. Like I wouldn't say con- conceptually, it's really cool. It's not the best in terms of plotting dialogue, but um, there's some really dark sequences. Like, well, hey, you know, what? I'm gonna save it for when I'm on on, uh, <laughs> on psychoanalysis. Love it. What about any any uh, other plugs you want to do, or is uh, are we good? I, I guess I'll say mine. Do it, do uh, it. Just find me, Dan Flieger, on Twitter. Um, one thing I wanted to plug that doesn't get enough love, uh, my favorite TV show of the year, now that we're kind of ending things, Zero Zero Zero. Go look that up. It's about a shipment of drugs going from Mexico to Italy. Nobody you are watched obsessed it. with the show. I know. You told us. I'm sorry. None, I know none of us have watched it. Mike, you are obsessed <laughs> with Supernatural. I mentioned the show twice. That does not mean I'm obsessed. No, I know, but have it's, you watched, it's so funny. Have you watched it? Have you watched it? No, no I have so not watched it. Apparently, it has yet. not worn yeah. off. So I'm talking to the listeners here. Yeah. Anyway, no, no. I watch Gremlins. I'll watch Zero Zero Zero. <laughs> but it'll all be good. No, I'm you, just saying it definitely made a mark on you. So that's all. That's all. Because usually you don't get my that way. Favorite TV show of the year. Yeah. No, yeah, I, but you I don't. You don't been, usually get that way. All right. Well, those are my plugs. Uh, well, hey, I took your <laughs> I took your advice for the boys. Now that's like I, I fucking love that show. So you know, um, yeah. I guess Danny, we don't have any. <laughs> I don't Danny, have any. Danny PFL on Instagram. <laughs> yeah. Danny. <laughs> Follow Flieger. Uh, and uh, Jen, which what's your what's your social handle? Oh, it's Jen Ferratu on all of them with two ends. And mine's uh, D W Caffrey. Spelled like my last name. Come and find and us. I'm, Come and follow us. Not like the drink, though, right? <laughs> Caffrey. <laughs> Caffrey like the drink, D&W? but different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> D&W root beer. D&W, yeah, um, exactly. 
I, I'm at, at Michael Rothman. And uh, one of the last things that we will be doing um, that we are very excited about, because usually we take a break on the holidays. Uh, we're not going to be doing that this year because we're doing week-to-week coverage of The Stand, <sighs> which is going to be fun. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. You mentioned that, uh, yeah. we need to talk about Kevin. Not, yeah. not to tour he's in home, but we He's in it. Trash Man. Yeah. Guess what? We, we uh, Trash came in. We, uh, we predicted about it. We, 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 uh, we called it. And we're gonna we're leaving it here right now again that we call it. So um, <laughs> yeah, go back and read our King. We we call a lot of these King casting decisions. So go, go back and read our Stephen King cinematic universe. But oh yeah, love that one. But before anyone reads uh, reads anything further or follows us on socials, we have to we have to do a little farewell. And let's try and do it really nice right now. Uh, all right, everyone, everyone, everyone with me. All right, mm-hmm. uh, we will see you in. Long Long days days and and pleasant pleasant nights. Consequence Podcast Network.